today I'm here with my good friend Alex and her partner Irvin. Is that how you say your name? Yep. Correct. Right, I didn't want to butcher it. No, you're at good. All. <laughs> Alex, how you feeling today? I'm good. Good. You can be a little nervous. It's all right. And there's a lot of stuff I can edit out of here too. So any stutters or all of that kind of stuff, we're good. That's good. All right. So Alex and Irvin are a couple. How long have you two been together? Almost eight months. Almost eight months? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Yeah. Do you guys celebrate monthly anniversaries? Yes. Try. Yeah. I, I, I do that too. I do that too. It's, yeah. it's fun and it gives you something to look forward to right. as well. Yeah. So like uh, you guys do date night. Yeah, we do day night. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we always try to do something different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, go go for walks, bowling, um, yeah. you know, casual dinner kind of thing. But yeah, I always try to do something. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what about, uh, I like the tattoos, obviously. Group, Marvel, movies, mm-hmm. cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> do y'all have those like Netflix nights where you just watch animated shows? We do. Um, we love Attack on Titan. That, there you go. Yeah. Are you all caught up? Did you finish the season? We did not finish the third season that just came out. <laughs> It just came out? Okay, I'm behind then. All right. I I saw the end of season two, I believe, where I'm not going to spoil it, but you know who does you know what, Mm -hmm. and everybody's like, oh. Like, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) That was me, but uh, I'm really looking forward to Game of Thrones. You know, I have to be honest, I have not seen much of that, and I am ashamed to say that. But All right, here's what it. you do. You take two weeks <laughs> off from life, okay. and you just binge watch That's HBO what I to Go, I know. People Game tell me of that, Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, don't shave, don't shower. Don't do nothing. anything. Just stay there. <laughs> What's your favorite anime to watch, both of you? Attack on Titan is the one, you know, I, never, I, I didn't really watch it before until she showed me, and I love it. Yeah, uh-huh. um, that's gotta say my favorite though. I would say is Inuyasha, which now she kind of watched a little bit and she enjoys it. So. I, I used to watch it on Adult Swim. I, I've never <laughs> finished it, and it's like every episode was new to me. It was every yeah, time I saw exactly. it, and I didn't know if it was like, Wait. <laughs> like in in order or anything. Mm-hmm. But it, it's nuts. What do you like about Attack on Titan? Is it the action, the action or the storyline? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the storyline has such depth to it because you got like the Titans backstory and I'd have to read up on like what's really happening again. But from an overview, it's just like this is what religion is doing. And this is how right. politics is involved with it. And here's what we're doing to maintain our population and keeping secrets from people and exactly. stuff. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, I like this a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you haven't seen Attack on Titan, you should check it out. Now we're going to get to the podcast. So Alex is HSV positive. Which one is it? HSV1. HSV1, orally or genitally? Oral, genital, and willow. Which is what? Um, herpes on your hands. I've only ever had one outbreak, mm-hmm. and that was with my initial outbreak. Oh, so the first one's the worst one, right? And I think it was because of, like, touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. I probably had, like, a cuticle that was open or something. Got but I it. haven't had an outbreak there since. Okay. And how long were you diagnosed? How long ago were um, you That was four years ago. Which outbreak came first? I got all three at the same time. So you just woke up one day, like... I had a 103-degree fever. I was vomiting, sweating profusely, couldn't eat for almost three days. So I went to the clinic. Um, I lived on a military base at the time. And I thought I had the flu or something. And then they did blood work and swabbed down there because I started to, like, 
have symptoms where it was like hurting when I would pee and stuff. And um, so it ended up that my three days of like fevers and not eating was my first herpes outbreak. So this was something that you noticed immediately. It's not like you had any symptoms before and you may have mistaken them for something else or like an ingrown hair or razor burn or something like that. No. So you knew yeah. like right away. How did they diagnose you on a military base? So they swabbed my outbreak and also drew blood because I had an active genital outbreak. So that's how I know that it's type 1. My ex-husband was military, mm -hmm. so that's why I lived there. Okay. When you found out, how did that conversation go? Or was there a conversation? With him? Yes. Actually, we were married for four years. We got separated for a week. We had a lot of problems with him cheating, and he was kind of abusive. And then after a week of him moved out is when I got diagnosed with herpes. So then a week after that, I texted him and I told him, you know, like, I got diagnosed with this. I think it's probably from you because my ex-husband was the only person I'd ever had sex with. I think that that's a very important thing to note here is that this is something that can happen from just one interaction. Like, we see the word promiscuous in relation to an SCI diagnosis, herpes diagnosis, and we've got a situation where you guys were married for four years and this is the only person you've been with? Four years married, eight years total. Oh, we, shit. We started dating in high school. Oh, Okay. And then we got married, and he joined the military, so I moved to the military base. Okay. That's crazy. You guys were separated prior to your diagnosis, right? Well, he moved out, and then a week later, um, I got That's when you began symptoms. to show symptoms. Do you know how long he was cheating? I found out, actually, within the past year that he cheated on me before I even got married. Oh, okay. So there's no way to really check and see if there was a point in time where he may have come into contact with it and then Yes, I have no clue when he would have gotten it. Okay, well, not that that's important. When you guys separated and you are now dealing with having HSV-1 orally, genitally, and on your hand, herpes Whitlow, how did you move forward from that? I was in nursing school my third semester, so I had one more semester to go. And I think when I got diagnosed was November, so it was right before, like, Christmas break between the semesters. And I ended up having to admit myself to a mental hospital for being suicidal because I took my diagnosis so hard. Going through that process, what does admitting yourself look like? Like, how did you know, okay, I need to do something? I got so depressed from... The separation and from getting diagnosed that I was like in bed for a week straight not eating my friend came and checked on me and she told me that she thought that I probably needed to go did your friend know what was going on did they know that you well, obviously knew about the divorce but did they know that you were just diagnosed with herpes I did tell my best friend that lived there with me mm -hmm. um, that I got diagnosed with it and she was really supportive. For people who may not understand the capacity of depression, me being one of them, 
when you say I was in the bed for a week straight, are we saying, are we talking about like you get up to go to the restroom and maybe eat or is this one of those things where it's like, all I want to do is sleep? It was like literally the only time you get out of bed is to go to the bathroom. I'd maybe eat every few days, like once. Was there much human interaction? Like, did you reach out to anyone? Did anyone reach out to you? I didn't really reach out to very many people. Um, Like, my parents and my one good friend reached Mm -hmm. out to me to check on me because they hadn't heard from me. Did they ask how you were? Yeah. Okay, and what was your response? I was terrible. And you told them that? Yeah. Okay. How did they take that? Um, well, my, my friend is the one that told me that I should probably be seen by somebody because Mm -hmm. I think I told her that I was having thoughts about her and myself. Did she go with you or did you decide to just get up, get out of bed and drive yourself? I think she drove me there. Okay. When she drove you there, can you tell us what that process was like? So you go in, you get dropped off, you go in, um, and you just like walk up to the front desk and check in. Basically, Uh tell them what's going on, and they check you in. And then they don't let you out until they think that you're not a danger to yourself anymore. What's the title of the professional that you went and saw? Who assisted you? Um, I guess a psychiatrist and and a therapist there. This may be a stupid thing to say, but the reason I asked you that is because I'm assuming, all right, when you go to a hospital, there's like... There's not, I'm not thinking mental health hospital. I'm thinking you have to go into some sort of uh, mental health facility for that kind of treatment, not like physical, you know, surgery, um, emergency room. That's what I'm thinking when I think hospitals. Like I'm coughing, sneezing, sick mm-hmm. hospital or shot. Um, so the this service was available at the facility that you check yourself into. Yeah. All right. And what was that process? So you're seeing a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is, I'm sure, asking you questions, right? Yes. Okay. What are some of these questions? If you can recall them. If not, that's okay. Um, like they ask you mainly what kind of thoughts you're having. They want to know if you have a plan to hurt yourself. If you tell them that you have a plan, then they pretty much automatically make you stay there did you have a plan yes when you told them that and they made you stay there what kind of treatment did you receive it was not a good time to Mm -hmm. be honest um i got to the point where like the end of the week i was trying to pretend like i was okay so that they would discharge me because they put um they put people like with depression and anxiety in the same like facility with people who have like schizophrenia so like I'm trying to go there and heal and I've got this chick who's trying to beat me up like you guys are sharing a room yeah oh shit and I I have an aunt who's bipolar and schizophrenic so I have an idea of what you went through there but not the beating up part I don't think that <laughs> and I don't think that she was doing anything like that so you're trying to get out but they are obviously not letting you. What does treatment look like when you check yourself in? I feel like it needs to be a lot different than it is because I feel like right now a lot of how they treat people with depression is just like forcing meds. What are some things that you would like to see 
changed as far as being treated for depression? Uh, I would say maybe like more opportunities to do therapy. Um, I feel like more opportunities to see professionals in general because I feel like a lot of times you call places and they tell you that they're not taking um, patients, that they're all full. I didn't know that that was a thing. So we're talking, I'm someone who needs help. I am contemplating suicide. I am diagnosed with depression and I know I need assistance. So I make the phone calls to the places that I need to be in those moments. And I'm being told we're full. Yeah. Some psychiatrist will like not have room for new patients. So you're not even given alternatives where an overflow of patients would be able to reach out to? I think one of the best options that I've actually used before is they have a, a texting hotline now available. Oh. I don't remember what the number is. Okay. It's, we it, can but find it's it. six digits and you can text any time of the day. And I'm not sure if they're medical professionals or not that text you back, but somebody texts you back to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. Do you think that having that, even professionals or not, do you think that having that uh, accessible is beneficial? I think it was because I've had a couple of nights I've used it where it's like 2 a.m. and no one's awake. And but, some, but someone's there at yeah. that hotline. When you needed to reach out, just having someone there was useful for you? I think so. All right. In talking to family and friends, did they just not know how to help you navigate this? So my mom struggles with it, too. I dealt with her being in the hospital a lot when I was a kid due to it. So I think, I'm pretty sure mine is genetic. Um, but it's just exacerbated when I have bad periods of time in my life, like when I got diagnosed with herpes. Were there other times around that before that where you be you found yourself in depression to the point where you had contemplated suicide? I had a lot of times where I'd thought about it, but I don't think I was ever to the point where I actually had a plan to do it until after I got diagnosed. Okay. And my divorce. Yeah. So would you say that that was as a result of the stigma? Or was it the physical pain and the the trauma that comes with a herpes diagnosis? I think it was both. Okay. I think, um, well, for one, my outbreaks were horrible. Like the first year, I probably have one every two weeks to a month. And um, they were, I mean, they were bad. Mm -hmm. So I was in pain a lot. But I also felt like, you know, I did all the right things. I only had sex with one person, and I still got an STD, and now I'm divorced. So I felt like, how is anybody going to want me at mm. this point? Yeah. If herpes itself didn't have such a negative perception, you know, where you were like, well, how's anybody going to want me? If that were to be different, do you think that it would have helped you manage your response to the diagnosis a little bit better? I think so, because now that I'm four years in, I've realized that it really 
is not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was obviously with the pain and the outbreaks at those points in time, for sure. But the 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 perception that people have of herpes and a person who is living with herpes, you know, they our sex education system tells us don't have sex, don't have sex till you're married. If you have sex, use condoms, and then we get herpes, which is skin to skin contact. It's not something that condoms will protect you from. It's not something that a wedding ring is gonna protect you from. And here you are, having done everything right, and now are positive. And on top of having depression dealt with the physical symptoms of herpes and dealt with the mental trauma that comes with a herpes diagnosis on top of that i guess changing the stigma or deflating the stigma would have been helpful to you at that point in time um what was worse the physical or the mental side of having herpes i think in the beginning the physical okay because my outbreaks were so frequent and they were so bad. And then now we're at a point where um, you've now you are with someone. You're in a relationship, and your partner is Irvin. We we haven't talked to you in about twenty one. Ah, minutes. you're good. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're <laughs> HSV negative, right? Yes. All right. First, how'd you two meet? It's actually funny, but you know nowadays people just meet. In random places, and one one way we met is uh, online on Tinder. I was always busy. I used to work uh, every day, pretty much from pretty much ten to nine. I had no time to go out, so I figured I'd give it a try. And it's interesting because that's where I met her. But yeah, we met on there, uh, started talking, and you know, eventually we we met up. So it's kind of a random place to meet someone. You know, you usually don't expect to find someone great on those kinds of apps, but um, I did. So you know, kind of find each other. And it's been wonderful ever since, you know, now we're, yeah, eight months in, seven, eight months in. So, yeah. and it feels like it was just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, you remember how she disclosed to you? Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, she, she told me before this goes anywhere, she was like, I have to tell you something. And First date? We didn't even meet up yet. Oh, we were still just, up? yeah, we, you know, we were just talking, exchanging texts and everything. And, um, you know, she said, um, before we meet up, I, I'd rather tell you this and not waste my time, you know, because I guess she's dealt with that where she met people where she would meet them and then eventually tell them and then they'd, they'd be scared by it or, you know, or um, think differently. So, that, you know, it was a waste of time for her. But this time, you know, she disclosed it right up front. And at first, um, I don't know what to think at first, you know, because I, I just haven't dealt with anybody with it or I haven't had it myself or anything like that. But it didn't really matter to me. I look past that because that's something that it didn't concern me. It didn't. I didn't think it would change who she was. You know, I liked the person that she was, um, and I liked her for her. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I told her, let's let's just not worry about it. Just let's keep going forward. You know, but don't worry about it. Um, it wasn't anything that turned me away. You know, I still liked who she was for you know for her. So yeah, you know, we went out and it was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. And um, so you said you haven't had any history or education about HSV. Did you have an idea in your mind of what a person who has herpes or an STD may look like? Um, not really, except, you know, I, I figured out breaks. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how bad they were, you know, um, 
where you where exactly you could get them in all the possible places or anything like that but i know it was just kind of an outbreak you know and um that was pretty much about it i didn't know too much about it to be honest <laughs> uh, but then uh the conversation after you said like not to worry about it i'm sure like obviously eight months in you guys have been intimate before mm -hmm. um were there further discussions about precautions to take yeah um what made it hard in the beginning was she was concerned about me getting it mm -hmm. and i understand where she was coming from but it kind of made it hard in the beginning because, you know, she just she was just concerned. She didn't want me to go through what she went, which was horrible for her. And I, I understood that. But mm -hmm. then again, you know, I kept reassuring her that I was in it for the long haul. And, you know, if I, if I couldn't deal with it or if I didn't want to deal with it, you know, I wouldn't be there. Right. And so it was kind of hard getting over the bump where for her to feel comfortable and be like, okay, well, you know, we can just be fine and I don't have to worry about it every time. Um, because in the beginning she was, you know, trying to be very cautious and she was afraid, you know, to get intimate and everything. But, yeah. um, eventually I think she learned that, you know, it, I really meant what I said, you know, it, it understood what, what was happening, you know, and what could happen. And I knew the consequences, mm -hmm. you know, so, but, you know, to me, I, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like being able to hear your perspective of it just because, I know people in general who are living with HSV do genuinely fear passing it on. Also, people struggle to allow someone to be okay with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, this was your choice. Right. She gave you the choice, ethically, rightfully so, and you made the choice to say, okay, you know, I want to do this. Alex, how challenging was it for you to move past the, oh, my God, I don't want to give this to anybody else and trust him that it was okay and he was okay with the risk? I think at first it was kind of hard. I was I started off taking antivirals every day when we first started dating mm -hmm. um, because I was just terrified to give it to somebody and have him, like, resent me later it's like say that he's okay with it now but after he actually gets it you know to be like you did this to me <laughs> right yeah. yeah and like you don't feel guilty into the relationship right no like i said you know in the beginning she she pretty much was upfront about it and that's what i appreciate about it you mm -hmm. know is that she told me up front instead of waiting till way later and then i don't know we're saying it which you know, it would have been a surprise, but, you know, I don't think it would have been different. But I appreciated that because up front, she gave me the option. She gave me the choice to say, okay, well, that's not something I can deal with. I'm sorry. Or, you know what, it's no big deal. So yeah. I, I really appreciated that about her. Good, good. And then for you, how hard was it to type that message? <laughs> it gets easier the more times you do it. Okay. Um. But it was hard. Like, I, when I first started dating after I got divorced, I dated a guy um, on a herpes support group for two years because I had decided that I was only going to date people with herpes. So then we broke up, and then I started, like, trying to get into online dating again and dating people. Oh, it sucks and so much. And it's horrible. <laughs> and I got so tired of like how many few options I was giving myself by only limiting myself to not only just online dating, but only online dating sites for people with herpes. Mm -hmm. And I had like 
very few options. Finally, I guess this past year, like end of last year, I was like, fuck it. There you go. <laughs> you, you can cuss here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tired of trying to only date people with herpes. I want to date like a normal person. So I started just telling people. Mm-hmm. I started off telling people, like I'd go on a few dates, and then I'd tell people. And some people were okay with it, and it just didn't go anywhere. Some people, you wait a few dates, you tell them, and then they're like, no thanks. So then I started with him, just telling him before we even went out on a date. Yeah, crazy how that works. Like, you got to go through the uncomfortable stages. You got to get comfortable with it. Would you say repeated disclosures made you more comfortable with disclosing? Yes, and I feel like a lot of my disclosures in the beginning failed probably because of the way I approached it. I was super negative when I went to tell people about it. So basically how you felt about it, about yourself with herpes, is how you projected yourself onto the other person. Yes, I feel like once I started to be more like positive about it and this really isn't a big deal when I told people, then I felt like I got more positive responses back. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting here too is that you had success on Tinder. Like, we're looking at an eight-month eight relationship yep. here uh, after Tinder, and you had low expectations, but obviously you have high standards. Urban's a very outstanding mm-hmm. guy, you know, charming, funny, watches anime, so he's cool in my book. <laughs> um, open-minded, and most importantly, I think, I think what stands out to me is that one of the first things that uh, you said was that, you didn't directly say this, but what I heard was that you knew what you wanted. You yeah. said you were in it for the long run, so it's like... All right, I met this girl. She looks interesting. I like her group tattoo. Oh, she's into the same things I'm into. So, yeah, all right. It's herpes. So you, you're like, it's not even on a scale. You can't even weigh interests and herpes. <laughs> like, no, not really. It, 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 the, the interest, the mutual interest outweighed the fact that she's living with an STI. And I think that that's important for other people to recognize as well. Like, you can't, not only should you not settle for someone who just accepts you for having an STI um, without any care in the world about the interest. Because this was something that I did. Like, it was like, oh, do you have the same type of herpes as me? Cool, we can move forward. And then you find out that we're not compatible. So compatibility first is very important. Um and just looking at the interests that you may have in common before you even decide, oh, okay, this is someone I may be able to see a future with. How about I spend a little bit of time with them, see if they're really interested in the same things as me, and then we can decide on whether or not this person is worth me disclosing this very important piece of information to and then getting intimate with. And first off, congratulations to you two for finding <laughs> each other yeah. <laughs> um, and being able to connect on those interests like that's what is really important and what's missing in dating in online dating is looking at the right things because people can hide their intentions very well online you know you're behind the screen you put up the pictures that you want people to see you can project yourself to be whoever it is that you want the other person to think you are 
And that's the thing. Whenever I, you know, I seen her on on there, you know, you meet it. Like you said, there's people who put up almost like a story, a different kind of story of who they want to be, but who they're not. And with her, it was her that she was putting up who she was, you know. And that was that was the thing with her from the beginning was she was herself mm-hmm. and. I never had to worry about her changing or anything like that. So that's one thing that made it easy for me to accept that was that she was upfront about it. Um, she never changed who she was, and up to this day, she's still the same person that I fell in love with, you know, in the first few days. Yeah. So I was still, still her. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That, I can't tell you how exciting that is. What made Irvin the person you chose to disclose to? What made him stand out? So I would say we talked for, like, a week before we went on a date, and I just think how genuine he was. Um, I was reluctant to even try Tinder because I've heard horror stories about, like, that it's just for sex and that's <laughs> all it's for. And then my friend convinced me to try it and I was on there for two days and found him. Um, and he didn't ask me anything about anything sexual whatsoever. And I think that kind of um, made me interested. Like, he was asking me deep questions about my interests, what I like to do, like, personal questions. And then uh, we can construct this episode into some dating advice, too, man. You want to... How much you charge for your services? <laughs> for service? <laughs> I, you know, I haven't thought about it yet, but I have, I have to come up with a few. <laughs> uh, but that's important to come off as who you are because you'll see people, you know, like we said, you know, you put up a front of who you want people to think you are and then you get together and it doesn't match and then you wonder why people ghost you. You wonder why you don't get a second date or why people just aren't interested. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with herpes. It's... Personally, personal, from uh, my personal experience, herpes made me not who I am when I allowed it to control my decision-making. It was like, oh, maybe I should be perfect and put on this front of perfection and acting like I have my shit together, then she'll like me. And then when it came time to go on a second date or disclose, you know, you you put off creepy vibes, man. And creepy may not be the exact word, but that's what, the other person may pick up. Like, you may come off as either clingy or creepy. Is it like, if you look at the masculine-feminine scale, like, a woman's going to be crazy, a guy's going to be creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's when true. something's off, that's what we'll say. And anything in the middle is just that something is off. It's important to be yourself and not let herpes hide who you are because that is what it can do. It can either, you know, make you who you really are or make you hide who you really are and act like something that you're not and not to say that it's just a binary scale of one of those two things you know there's this whole spectrum of it uh, just specific to this topic like that's a good situation that we can compare it to so taking it back to depression uh, Alex I want to ask you how are you managing your depression now when I was first diagnosed Um, and I was hospitalized, I was on probably, like, six different anti-psych, like, psych meds, um, a day. And now I'm on nothing. (laughs) That's how it's not (laughs) Did the depression medicine make you more depressed? It just made me feel, like, dead inside. It makes you feel like... Oh, so there's no pain, there's just numb. There's just nothing. So when did you decide to just get off the medication? After my divorce, I dated 
that guy from the support group for two years that had herpes. And then we broke up. And then um, I started to get a little depressed again, not as depressed. But my psychiatrist convinced me that I needed to do ECT treatments. Which is? Which is, is shock therapy. So they basically induce seizures to try to help depression. And all I did, I had to take three months off of work to do this, January to March of last year. And it cost a lot of money, and all it did was give me some memory problems. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to explore that more, uh, the depression element, probably with... I'll get a professional on here who can talk about this and, of course, make it related to an STI some kind of way. But that is a very important topic in dealing with depression, managing emotions altogether. But I want to be able to take your experience and help someone else if they're listening to this and they're struggling with depression or think they may be depressed, whether diagnosed clinically or not, just kind of some things that they can expect when seeking out help. What advice? Well, we basically did two episodes. (laughs) But for someone who is depressed and working your way to being off meds and not even going through ECG treatment, um, what would you say is the most useful to you keeping you out of that depressed state? Um, so after all that happened, I just decided that I wanted to do stuff more natural route because I was tired of being on all these meds and trying all these treatments. Um, so I just tried to reach out more to people when I needed it. I tried to force myself out of the house more, even on days where it was extremely hard, like even just getting out of the house for 10 minutes um, was beneficial. And trying to eat healthier, I feel like when I eat crap, I feel crappy. Um, I feel like just little things like that have helped tremendously. I still have days where I struggle with it, but I feel like that's helped a lot. Yeah. And then Irvin, from you real quick, like what do you, what advice do you have for someone who is SCI negative, who's been disclosed to by a potential partner as being positive for an SCI when making a decision on whether or not to move forward? I mean, first of all, you got to know what you want. You know, you, you got to realize that, uh, you know, no matter where you're going to end up or who you're going to end up, you got to know what is it that you're looking for. Uh, that's the first thing. And then everything else is just easier because, you know, you already know what you're looking for and that makes it easy for you to make decisions. Like the one that I had to make, whether I wanted to be in this or not, I knew what I was looking for. And, you know, after being with her a few days, meeting her, talking to her, um, she had everything that I was looking for, so I knew. And it made it easier for me to figure out, is this something that I can do or not do? Yeah. And it was, <laughs> you Good. know, uh, eight months later. And, yeah, so um, that's what I'm saying just try to figure out what is it that you're looking for and don't let anything get you down. You know, you, you life is always going to throw curveballs at you. And it's whether you let it get you down or not or you just want to keep going and just keep going, you know. Just be you. You're you're unique in your own way. And someone, you know, is always, there's people out there for you that, you know, will help you in any way. Um, but, yeah, just, like I said, know, know what you're looking for. It, it makes a big difference um, and it helps you. In the long run, make decisions. <laughs> yeah. 
And then what about you, Alex, as far as from the perspective of someone who's dating and disclosing and making the decision, struggling with that, I don't want to pass this on to someone, but I don't want to limit myself. What advice do you have to a person who's in that space right now? I think it also goes uh, towards knowing what you want. I like told him up front I wanted something long term which makes it easier to deal with the fact that someday he might get it. You can also take daily antivirals if that helps ease your mind. Condoms, those in combination provide pretty good protection. I'm not I'm not sure the percentage Oh, we don't do percentages here. <laughs> we, we go off experience. Uh, yeah, I leave that for the medical professionals that we have on to talk through the numbers and everything because I'm obviously not a medical professional and the statistics are so different and the terminology is just, it would I, I wouldn't be able to release this podcast as much as I do if I had to be up on top of all the statistics and how often they change. We got people for that. And avoiding sex during outbreaks or if you feel one coming on yeah that's helped for me as well so i can attest to that like just learning your body being comfortable in it and having the confidence and understanding of it to know all right you know this is what i'm feeling and be able to communicate i would say communication is important as well just to add to it i'm sure you would agree with that as well mm-hmm. this was um, awesome i know you i know you were nervous for sure but <laughs> it's turned out to be great very informative very useful we got to cover the topics of depression, which is very important. And I'll link in the show notes different resources for people who may know someone who's experiencing depression. Or if you think you're experiencing depression, um, I'll be able to add something into the show notes so that you have a resource to reach out to. I am working on getting in contact with someone at the Suicide Hotline so that there is a resource for people who are, in fact, uh, experiencing depression or contemplating suicide after a diagnosis so that there is a resource specifically dedicated to these people. I know the disclosing process is challenging and, you know, the the shame of the stigma and dealing with an SCI diagnosis makes it hard to really say that this is something that is also wrong. So I want to be able to help and cut out that element of it and just get you to a resource that can be useful to you or someone you know. Um, if you like this episode, please like, rate, subscribe to, review, share this podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It helps us with getting exposure, um, with getting more credible and popular and influential guests on the podcast um, and really helps with credibility to other organizations who can provide additional resources to us. So please continue to keep those coming and help the podcast get into the ears of the people who may find it useful or know someone who will find it useful. Till next time, stay positive.